Okay, so we're continuing on um, with talking about emotions. Um, I'm going to start just by recapping a little bit about uh, what... No, you're so good. What Tim shared about last time with... (laughs) um, with, yeah, just the introduction to emotions and, like, what place they have in our life. And so to start, um, yeah, we can acknowledge that emotions aren't bad. Like, emotions in and of, uh, in and of themselves um, are given to us by the Lord to aid us in salvation. And um, Tim used the catechism quotes that love is to will the good of another. Passions are evil if love is evil and good if it is good. So that they can aid us or... They can pull us away from the Lord, depending on what place they have in our life and like how ordered they are. And we can have these two perspectives, either as emotions as master or emotions as our feelings as enemies. So like on one end, you have like the driftwood approach where we kind of just like float along with our emotions, let them control us, let our um, behavior kind of ebb from that and let them like control and determine our behavior. Um, And also like as master, we can think of like introspection, like looking in as like a microscope where you're constantly like monitoring your feelings, you're focusing um, on them, centering in on yourself. Um, And so we can have some insight as like good, but when it turns us in on ourself, it can lead to like moodiness or fear of failure or worsen the problem. And our life as Christians, we should be characterized by being other-centered, single-hearted for God and laying our life down for others. So then the opposite of that, or like the other end of the spectrum, is our feelings as enemies. So we don't want to like push them aside and like think of them, like I said earlier, as like bad. Like we don't need to repress them. We don't need to like have this like stern discipline of like, I will not feel my emotions. I will not let them control me. I will um, like be free of them and like do what is good only. Like we don't have to have that like end of it. It's like somewhere in the middle. Um, However, Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested in every way, yet without sin. So we have a Lord, we have a teacher, we have a companion, a friend, a savior who has um, had this human nature. He understands. He understands that our emotions are something that we can be swayed by. He understands that um, it can be hard. He experienced these emotions. He experienced agony. He experienced joy. He experienced fear, just all these different things. Um, He didn't want to die, but he um, chose to do that for us. And um, just um, to mention this last time too, but these emotions are lived out in the reality that we are sons and daughters of the Father, um, like our Lord was. So what is at stake? when we talk about emotions this semester. Why are we spending a semester talking about them? Because as we develop and experience, um, as we develop, we're experiencing, we need to experience our emotions and acknowledge them. And um, the reality that we experience these emotions, we need to um, not ignore that they're happening and acknowledge that God transforms our hearts so that we would desire the good and begin to choose only the good um, as we live the whole Christian life for the rest of our life. So as we're talking about everyday excellence this year, so, for example, right now, I think a lot of you know that I don't um, particularly love public speaking, um, and I'm a little bit nervous. So there's this, like, fear here, so I can acknowledge that there's fear, or there's, like, anxiety or something there, and I know that God is good. I know that he's still going to love me, regardless of how this talk goes, and hopefully you all as well, <laughs> um, and that he's going to give me the words to speak. So I'm going to stand up here, and I'm going to give this talk anyways, trusting that the Lord will work and the Lord will provide. So emotions and holiness. So as we're striving to be disciples... Well, how do these two things connect? And so I mentioned earlier, our emotions can either aid us or hinder us as we're striving for holiness as Christian disciples. And as we're talking about our charisms this semester, we'll go through each of them in these next few talks. They are actually gifts given to us, PO gifts given to us as people and as a community. And 
also I think these are antidotes that have been given to us to help um, live our emotions out rightly ordered. And I think this is so important in our culture, and particularly like in college and our young adult life, because for many of like our peers, for many of us, our emotions can become the criteria. Um, that's like primary for determining what's true and what's real and as we make decisions. And so that's why I think it's important um, to be able to like find a way to live these rightly ordered with the Lord. And so when we talk about holiness, we're striving for discipleship. We're striving for um, this perfection of charity. Yeah. So what is holiness? There's a lot that goes into being um, the word holy and what that means. And the word holy means to be set apart. So God is completely unlike anything in his creation and is this way, and, and is this way sorry, set apart as holy. And it's to this end which man was created to share in the life of God as partakers of the, the, the divine nature and so to be truly sanctified. So we're drawn into this life with the, with the Trinity, with our Redeemer, to become set apart as he is, um, to be perfected in charity. And this is actualized in our lives as lay people to, um, by baptismal grace, lived each day as our walk to discipleship and discipleship. And it's not just for priests. We're called to this universal call to holiness. Um, it's a serious call for all of us, not just for priests, not just for religious, but each of us, um, young and old. And um, this part that I have here of priest, prophet, king, by our baptism, we're all called to and given the grace to be priest, prophet, and king. And the Holy Spirit anoints us as we're baptized. And so he's filling us, as he's filling us as temple, um, and bringing, like letting us have his holy presence as God, we're being likened to Jesus. And part of our, like, this, like, we're all called, um, as this, like, baptismal call to priesthood. Um, I was asking Daniel this earlier. I want to, for our theology majors out there, um, Zachary's here, so let's film this person. But y'all can help me out with, <laughs> um, for, sorry, you can look around. Um, uh, make sure I'm, like, saying this right. But we, like, have this call to be, like, also make priestly offerings of our life um, and in daily life as, like, the priesthood in Mass. And so there's a prayer that I learned that um, part of Cornerstone that we were given. I have it hanging on my mirror. So if you're in some family's houses or young adults' houses, a lot of us have this um, tagged on like a mirror somewhere, but it's like a prayer offering. So it's something that I have started to like pray every day um, as a way to like remind myself to make offerings of my life and to make um, this like offering every day. So it says, Father, we confidently ask you for a grander vision for worship and that in the big and small things of daily life, we may make priestly offerings to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I started to like internalize this prayer and like memorize it and I just like noticed that whether it's like I'm making an extra trip to drive somewhere or drive somebody or wash my roommate's dishes like late at night and I'm like ready to go to bed because um, I know that blesses her or I experience like rejection. These are all acts of worship. They're all acts of like offering um, like a priestly offering back to the Lord. And so we are striving for holiness and our emotions like as we're striving for this as we're striving to live this way of life this like high call let's work with the lord let's work with god to make our emotions holy um and knowing ultimately that it's him that transforms us so when we talk about wholehearted worship i believe i left that long part on there for you so that is how <clears throat> we've seen that charism be shaped in our life together so I'll read part of it. Um, so it says, We strive to offer God all of our lives for the rest of our lives as a sacrifice of worship. We are people of worship with a liturgical spirituality, including daily prayer and the sacraments. Our worship of God, communally and not just individually, is essential to our relationship with him and the natural response of the will to who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. We praise and thank him wholeheartedly and expressively as our duty and our joy, always for his glory and not our own. So who is in charge of our life? 
Yeah. Oh, no, that's great. Good okay. answer, Maggie. Good answer. Good answer. Um, yeah. So let's take our emotions off the throne. Um, and then when we do that, let's not replace them with determination. Let's not replace them with logic or ourselves. Let's put Jesus back on the throne. Let's put God back on the throne and offer him our whole lives. And so when I was like praying about a few areas that in our journey to holiness, that maybe we might experience our emotions kind of sneaking into or having a part in, um, these were the ones that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on. Um, so we think about our life when we like discern the Lord's will. Um, ways that maybe our emotions can disorder that, can kind of cloud that, are when our emotions become the primary criteria for decisions, whether that's like vocation, about jobs, about where we're going to live, how we're going to spend our time. And so it's just that um, we need to remember, like I said, to put him back on the throne, to let him be the reason to, um, to die to ourselves and to offer back our lives to him and to choose what he wants to do. So we can come back to worship him, to remember that he's number one and we want to follow his will first and foremost. When we think about worship, we're going to enter into worship tonight. What does it look like when our emotions become a part of that? We can oftentimes be longing for this emotional experience in worship. Um, That's oftentimes how the Lord brings us in when we have these conversions or reconversions. And that can affect um, our spiritual beliefs. So think about like, how much of Christianity is based on feelings. Think about worship. We wonder, like, did we experience God? Um, did I feel his presence? Am I hearing him right? Am I hearing him at all? Is he even like close to me? And so that's like oftentimes like um, like these Christian things, like we like wait for something that's like most deeply felt. So what do we do? We worship. We worship when we're tired. We worship um, and we come into prayer because he still deserves to be praised, even when we're tired. We worship when we're angry or frustrated or confused because he still deserves to be praised. I have this like very vivid memory. Last year I was at our Cornerstone Women's Retreat and I remember looking up at one point during our time of worship and seeing like a body of women who've experienced deep suffering. They've experienced loss. They've experienced pain. They've experienced longing. They've experienced confusion and hurt. And just to see this body of women come and worship wholeheartedly because they believe that God is still good. They have hope. Um, and that just really called me on. Like, how often I, like, come to the Lord and worship. Um, whether I'm experiencing something big or something small and doubt. Um, and so just to, like, know that that's, like, real for us today. That's real for us at any stage of our life. To come back to him and to believe that he's still good and have hope. And think about, like, our personal prayer. Something that we do every day. Um, we can often treat our emotions um, as um, facts or like as driftwood, like I was mentioning earlier, kind of like following those. And think about like all of the emotions that come into taking personal prayer, whether that's tiredness or laziness, or it's like hard to get up in the morning, morning prayer, personal prayer. I remember how hard it was for me and still is hard for me, like moving out of household to choose um, to protect my prayer time. I have to choose to pray. I get really distracted. And um, I'm such an extrovert. I need to protect it. My roommate Emily and I have figured this out. I'm an extrovert and a morning person. She's more of an introvert and really good at being quiet right away. And so, like, learning to be like, okay, I need to, like, set this aside and, like, choose to pray right away and not let these other things come in the way. And I think anger, too. um, Not necessarily that, like, I don't know, I was just thinking about how oftentimes we can experience anger with the Lord or anger with other people. And actually, like Romans um, 8.28 says, in general, the root of anger problems is that we have not surrendered something to the Lord, most especially our self-will. And just thinking, like, we can be angry with the Lord. He can take it. And as we're, like, angry with others or angry with the Lord, like, let's bring that to him. Let's um, grow in greater vulnerability with him and work these things out with him. 
and I'll talk about anger a little bit later too, but it takes his choice um, to get up, to turn to the Lord, to be vulnerable. And we can see that like God knows this. He knows that our emotions aren't bad. He knows um, he's not condemning of these like seemingly negative emotions. He experienced anger himself. Um, and he experienced this like righteous anger. But don't sit in it. Don't sit in these things. Choose to get up and wrestle with him. Choose to get up and worship him. Um, and just, um, yeah, always come back to him and put him back on the throne. And so when we talk about, you now the Holy Spirit, um, here we'll take, before I read this paragraph, um, <clears throat> so with renewing the Holy Spirit, this charism is about we invite people to a personal encounter with Christ and deep conversion in the power of the Holy Spirit. We seek to be a prophetic people, to grow in the fruit and gifts of the Spirit, to live fully the call to holiness and mission received in baptism and confirmation. In all things, we trust in God and rely on his grace. We are a part of a movement of renewal in the church, faithful to the magisterium and committed to the unity of God's people. So I surrender. Um, we need to not fall into like being stoic. We need to not fall into trying to like white knuckle and control our emotions. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Be receptive to him. Um, it's the Holy Spirit that transforms us and transforms how we see the world. We spend a whole retreat talking about Holy Spirit. We spent multiple formation talks and like a number of months preparing for um, receiving the Holy Spirit in a new way. It's important um, to us as a people. It's important to the church. And um, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are emptying ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to come. We are preparing ourselves. This is the best preparation to receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry. I moved on to the next one. We think about humility. Sorry. Um, humility is emptying ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to come. Um, it's the best preparation to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so humility is when we give the power back to God. It's letting us, um, like, step aside so that the Spirit can be renewed and not just, like, us trying to, like, white-knuckle this, us not um, be this human work. So the Holy Spirit produces more and more of the character of Jesus. Um, in the book... I don't know if you all read it, called Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. I encourage you to keep reading it if you started or not started it. It's really good. Um, and there's a section on humility in it, and it was really beautiful. It was talking about, like, the Trinity and how the different persons of the Trinity and their um, how they're holy and how they're humble. And it was really cool because it was saying humility is not just, like, thinking less of ourselves or lowering ourselves because, um, like, think, or, like, because we did anything wrong. Like, think about Jesus, like, as we're made in the image and likeness of him, he never did anything wrong, so he didn't have to, like, apologize for anything ever or, like, um, like, admit his wrongdoing. Um, he humbled himself in human nature. He came down to be man. He came down and took on, um, and it's, like, human nature, our lowly form as a slave, all the way to, like, the ultimate act of humility of, like, death on the cross. And even higher than that is, like, humility of God. There's nobody above God, so he had to lower himself, and he completely lowered himself. Um, and so that being the truest form of humility. And so what does it mean to lower ourselves? Um, it means to be ready to serve in love. It means to serve in joy and peace without self-interest. And again, it's connected to worship in coming back to that. We humble ourselves as we worship. We put Jesus back and say, you are Lord and I am not, that you are higher than I am. And we give them back his righteous spot. Um, so we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The catechism says in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit himself accomplishes his work by mobilizing the whole being with all of its sorrows, fears, and sadness, as is visible in, visible in the Lord's agony and passion. 
In Christ, human feelings are able to reach their consummation in charity and divine beatitude. So he accomplishes this work in us. He um, mobilizes us. He moves us um, with all the stuff that happens, with all of these things that we experience. And he transforms us. Um, This is a word that Tim had last week, too, in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart, sorry, stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The law um, isn't written on stone anymore. Um, the commandments were given to us first written on stone. And in Jeremiah, um, he promises and prophecies that the, heart, um, the new law will be written in our hearts. And um, it's written in our hearts so that we can become actually capable to live this out. And we can actually like step into this freedom. Um, and so again, being purified, thinking about as we're transformed, I talked earlier about anger. So there's like righteous anger and unrighteous anger. The Lord like says it's okay to be angry when like the object of our anger is righteous, like it's okay. Um, God is too. And let him transform that. Let him purify that. Um, and then, um, I kind of feel like I was tacking this on, but I don't think it is. Um, so we talk about the fruits of the spirit, um, the fruits of the spirit, are the perfections that the Holy Spirit forms in us as the first fruits of eternal glory. The tradition of the church lists 12 of them. Charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. So these are gifts that we receive as we're in union with God, as we're in union with um, the Holy Spirit. These are fruits that are lived out in our life. So these are evident. Like when you're in relationship with the Lord, you'll see these in your life. Um, and as we're striving, um, we'll be able to live these out. And so as we're becoming more perfected, as we're becoming made into the image and likeness of Christ, these are going to be the fruit. Um, and they'll help us to love God and to love others better. So think about, like, as our emotions are coming from our hearts, like, that's where these fruits come out, and that's where these things originate from. So letting that be, like, what, um, like, yeah, letting these be the things that come from our hearts where emotions are. So to conclude, um, our... Yeah, the purpose of our emotions, the Latin word um, to move out, um, is like motivating us into action. And um, like the times when we like don't want to worship is the times when it's hard and we should actually do it even more because it's objectively good to worship because he is good. And this is a whole life project. We're gonna like keep talking about these, we're gonna talk, keep talking about our emotions and the place that they have in our life. Um, and how um, they can be rightly ordered. But as we like move to surrender our whole life to God, like know that he's ultimately working them out, that, um, yeah. Sorry, that the circumstances of our life will either move us to surrender more of our life to God, or they'll move us away from God into apathy, indifference, bitterness, or jealous, jealousness, competitiveness, um, these different things. And so the power to change comes from our being in Christ. So again, to repeat, like what is at stake? As we develop and experience our emotions, we acknowledge reality and we acknowledge that like God is one who transforms our hearts. So we can acknowledge these emotions, we can acknowledge these things in our life and move forward knowing that we're sons and daughters and that um, he's going to transform us so that we would choose to do the good and that we would do that every day of our life as we strive for excellence and holiness. And so let's work with him um, to make our emotions holy, knowing that he is ultimately the one who is transforming us. So over the course of the next few weeks, um, 
we are going to be talking about um, emotions and like the place that they have related to our formation as mature Christians. We're going to split and talk about the place that, I don't know if you've experienced emotions in your relationships as sisters and brothers before, but we're going to um, dive into that. And then we're also going to talk about our emotions related to evangelization and mission and our community life.